the Learning to Lose song. Just a little little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I would have liked... At some point. To sort of make an intro, but... It's kind of cool like this, then, too. But then you got to, like, add it afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. I, just, I just export this and upload it. Yeah. No editing. No bullshit. There's something cool about the mid-conversation factor as well. You just go yeah. just go with it. Yeah, so we just finished our meeting, and Sam was at our meeting, and, I mean, Billy kind of started the meeting with me, but it's uh, gotten to be a, somewhat of a social gathering of people just like talking, so, so basically <laughs> talking I- about spirituality and Billy's like, fuck this. He left halfway through and he said like, I was like, yeah, but Danielle wants uh, Sam to do the podcast. He happens to be a writer. I love films. I'm trying to make one. And she's like, I want him to do it. And I, I'm like, Billy, you know, maybe Sam, uh, would you be interested? And he's like, well, he's the only one who, had anything to say that I don't know there's just you can just kind of tell I guess but he's also you already know most other people but yeah so here's Sam I don't know if you want to kind of tell us who you are or like do you have a full name or do you not want to disclose that or sure I don't mind my name is Sam Scott and I am a writer and I was in the meeting just now all of that is true um, I've been sober a little while and uh, I'm a fan of Emmett Fox I didn't know anything about this meeting until last week and I put it in my diary, and at about 20 minutes before it was starting, my maps told me that traffic was heavy and I should get in the car. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to a meeting. And um, flew down the 101 and, and got here. And <clears throat> this is my first in-person meeting since the beginning of 2020. So mm. it's, uh, it's it? a breath of fresh air to be in a room with actual people, not yeah. on the other end of a screen. And that kind of, you know, the... Zoom is great for what it is. I love the fact that it takes exactly 60 minutes to go to a meeting. But there's kind of a... <laughs> Driving and everything. Right. The death of reciprocity is that thing. Of like you, could, you know, the, just the hearing people say, I get it, when you speak, or being able to say to someone, I get it. Like, as opposed to just kind of nodding or thumbs up to your, your webcam, is, is, it's... I'd forgotten how impersonal it was, you know, mm. and there's something really, uh, so how long has that been like six months that you've not, or has it been longer now? I haven't been to an in-person meeting since February of 2020 or March, March 2020. Wow. So it's been a minute. Yeah. Dude, I, 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 I just was in Costa Rica and I went to one, not my, the one that was in my house, which is not, this isn't like really a meeting. I feel like it's become something it's so per- but going to that was cool. It was like a trip. It's like weird, like just like regular old AA. It's just weird. We've been in like a different world for over a, almost a year now. It's crazy. I, I remember when this thing first started. I was like, "Oh, well, we're gonna, you know, let's go home for a couple weeks. We're gonna do this quarantine thing." I, I, I hear about it in zombie movies, but. <laughs> I guess we're doing it now, and and then here we are a year later. I mean, I had to shut my business down. It was like, and it's just crazy to see how long it's been going for. You know, I uh, I was going through my messenger recently. I have a thing about clearing out junk, and I found messages from like the twenty fifth of March, where I'm saying to people, "Yeah, like, we're gonna. This is 
Cup yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh, this is not a thing. Bro, I filmed everything. Yeah. Right? So I have, I went back and watched the YouTube video I made about like the quarantine, right. which was like the first three <laughs> weeks. And it was like, it, it was like I was explaining to somebody like an AA meeting how like, oh no, we're just doing it online, like through the computer. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just weird how quickly we, we adapt. And well, also, I think for you and me, we're still just kind of doing what we do and we never really yeah. stop. But for some people, they're really shut in, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. I went from work. I was turning up at an office every day. I was performance coaching for a private equity firm and like overnight it was over. And, um, you know, the, the thing about adaptation and time is that we thought this was going to go on for two weeks and I was like, I'll go back to meetings when they reopen. And then that was not going to happen. And I had to find a way to, you know, find my feet with zoom and whatever else. But, you know, I think this has gone on long enough now that like the whole back to normal thing is people have stopped asking that question and it's not, how do we go back to normal, but how do we go forward to better? And how do we, Mm. how do we keep living our lives having found out all of you know, I've really recalibrated how I spend my time, who I spend it with, what I spend it doing. All my value systems have completely changed. And to and to knee-jerk back to, oh, I got a vaccine. Now I can go back to, like, wasting time, you know, hanging out with people I don't really like. You know, it's like now I've really come to value the second and the day and the people and connection that... It was, we'd all, I, I, I don't know, we, but I had forgotten. I'd lo- we'd lost. Um, well, what do you mean the connection? Now you have it all kind of streamlined and you don't want to go back to how you were before? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Not, not just in terms of efficiency, but um, I was surrounded by people all the time. I was never not in some kind of interaction. But mm-hmm. the, the value that I have for connection now is palpable. Mm. just being across from a real person i i notice it you know it's that thing that was being discussed in the meeting of being between the um the plate and the scrubbing brush is is that i'm i'm so much more present to the connection as opposed to just yeah you know i have an 11 o'clock and i got to get through that and get across town so i can get to my twelve thirty. and like it was all just about having a full calendar for the sake of feeling like i've got stuff going on mm. as opposed to like coming here tonight and just sitting back for the first 20 minutes of the meeting i'm thinking like i'm in a meeting mm. with people who you know are all here for this common purpose of deepening their spiritual lives so you have a deeper appreciation for human contact in the present moment and like being present like Eckhart Tolle says is what you're is that what I you're mean saying? The, the other thing to, to say is when I when I turned 10 years sober I realized on a basic rough calculation that I'd averaged 10 to 12 meetings a week since I'd gotten sober really because wow. I go in the morning on my way to work and I would get done with work and I would be like, well, uh, I guess I'm going to go to a meeting. So it was like two a day, Monday to Friday, and then at least one a day on the weekend. So that's 12 wow. a week. Wait, for how many years? 10 years. So I was doing meetings alcoholically and hiding from, get, you know, like getting on with my life. And, you know, so there's been, like I said, a real recalibration around the value of time and versus productivity. And um, and so now one one meeting feels like 
you know, I wasn't, this is my point. It's like I would go for coffee with people or I'd go to a meeting, but I, it was like throwing water at a duck because I wasn't noticing or taking the time to be present for any of it because yeah. right. there was another one coming down the pike in 40 minutes. So, you know, I mean, it's like someone was saying in the meeting about this uh, racing through stuff. Like I, I did uh, Pilates years ago in a class and the teacher said to me, you're doing it right, but everything about the way you're doing it is like you're trying to get to the other side. And my reaction mm. was like, well, of course, that's how I do everything. Like, why would you do it any other way? Mm. I don't want to be doing this. I want to get. I want to get it done. I try to fight that in my life because I'm just set that way. Right. And like, you miss out on life, even though you're doing life. You're not. Right. You're not there for it or something. It's weird. It's yeah. Like, I mean, I, there's a great definition of uh, impatience as being restlessly eager, and it's that thing <laughs> of like, uh, this isn't it. So it might. It, it oh, at least just... might be the thing after this. So let's just get this wrapped out. You know, so as a result, I end up not really being there with the people I'm with because I'm like, it's like when you meet someone, they shake your hand, they're really looking over your shoulder at who's coming through the Dude, door. Dude, I fucking hate that. It's the worst thing. It's a very common LA thing, but like, it's that thing of like, it's not you, so maybe it's the other guy. Like, mm-hmm. you know what though? I do that. I think we all do to a degree. Especially when I'm reading like messages. Right. Um, but this. This actually, this podcast actually has, I, I feel like f- for me, it's helped me be present, like be present and, um, because we don't really have any agenda. We're just like talking and there's something about like a focused long form conversation that, you know, is like other people will hear that forces you to like, like we're here, like we're talking. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we're not going to get up and leave or talk to somebody else. The, 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 this has... And yeah. you know there's an audience, so there, that does something, and it's like the three of us, yeah. This has become sort of like, you know, something that does what a meeting would do. Like, sometimes we get deep and we treat our disease. Cause I love that when that happens. Yeah, I mean, we've gone like really, really deep. Sometimes. Can I ask him a few questions before we go into? Yeah, yeah. Can I okay. also just say that the other nice thing is that we're not talking from that point of view of like, I know the timer went off, but I just want to finish with this one thing. Like, there's no like right. limit to. It's just like no, no, no. Finish no. the thought. We can, can stay yeah. here till two if you want to. I'm into it. Let's go. <laughs> or, or, or you can leave whenever because that's true. If you also. need to leave, just be like, all right, I got to go, and then we'll just keep talking. Like it's all good. There's no pressure also we've had people on five times like so we can do it again like it's all good okay so i I'm can tell i can tell you're a cool. thinker like i could just tell from your share and i appreciate that personally because that's the only thing that's really yeah, you know, there's something in like the eyes there's something in like the way you know when when you could just see, there's an energy about certain people who have sort of been through enough to to be thinkers you know uh-huh. well for me it was the words yeah that too and how they were put yeah but um so just so you know who we are he is a movie fanatic he's way into that i don't give a fucking shit about any of that no 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 you like sci-fi a lot okay I, what i'm saying is that's <laughs> that's pat billy is just curious about you okay and conversation just so you know who you're talking to and so it's sort of a it's sort of a dichotomy or something, and 
I don't know why I'm even telling you that, but <laughs> I'm happy to talk about either either of so, those uh, things. Uh, I just want to know a little bit about you. So would that be cool if I asked you a couple of questions? Of course, absolutely. So you're familiar with Emmett Fox? Yes. So you read, you've read that book that we read tonight? I've read pieces of it. I've never read it beginning to end. What about Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now or New Earth? Same deal. I've I've read passages as opposed to... What you were just saying right now is so you should read that book. Well, he he kind of has, you know. I feel like maybe not the whole thing, but right. So I feel like you when you get the gist of a, I, I, like we know what he's talking about, you know. Yeah. Okay. More questions. So where where are you from? I'm. I was born in London, and I uh, I moved out here eight years ago. I think he's probably our first. Like UK, what would, you, what would you call that? Like European, European. What would you? How would you say that? UK again. <laughs> it's interesting. I once said to someone I'm from London, and they said, "Oh, I've always wanted to go to Europe." It's like, uh, <laughs> no, well, say Europe. Even British is three, four countries. So, so how would you describe your like? If we were to say this is the first, I've gotten to a point where I I say British now because it's just a coverall for the American understanding of where I'm talking about. And it's funny because I say Britain and I think they hear London, mm. but um, if I say London, they say Europe. Um, it's kind of a constant. The map just keeps enlarging and shrinking. It is kind of complicated. Yeah, I'm from England, uh, which is one of the countries in Britain. But I, I mean, who cares? But you're, so I you're do. definitely the first Englishman. Yes, is that what I'm you I'm an Englishman say? in LA. Definitely the first Englishman we've had on the podcast. I don't think we've had anyone actually even from, the, even with this kind of accent on. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I would say you're correct. Which is cool. And that's another really cool thing about doing this after the meeting. You never know who's going to show up. And if we can persuade them to do this right after, it could be a really cool way to get like-minded guests from all over. I thought it, it's kind of amazing, right? I think like, the podcast should start with what you say to the person to get them to come over here and sit down. <laughs> you like, should tell them. Bro, my sponsor really enjoyed your share, and I just really think like you should come hang out with us. And I, I, I used you <laughs> as a persuasive. I'm glad. It's hard, dude. I mean, dude. look, it worked. I'm an alcoholic, so I, I'm <laughs> all down to be flattered. <laughs> it's hard, I'm though. I'm in the chair. It's just like you have all these people showing up and I feel like I'm sort of in charge and they're like cross talk and then Billy leaves and I could tell he's not feeling the direction that the meeting's been. He hasn't been at this meeting for almost a month. He's busy and I'm like, and now I want to do the podcast, but I don't know where he's at. And I'm like, were you a part of starting this meeting? We started it, yeah, and I was like leading it, and I'm very much like, this is how you do it, this is how long you share, you don't cross talk, if you want to talk, you raise your hand, you say your name so we all get to know you, and then I'll like see who hasn't shared, and I'll pick maybe them, mm. or if it gets off topic, I'll share to try to get it back on topic, so for me, it's a waste of my time unless we're getting a higher vibration, we're learning, and uh, what's the word? We're... we're we're treating ourselves. We're getting treated. Hmm. Otherwise, I'm not interested. I have time. I, I, my time is valuable. So that's me. We usually ask, like, like we asked Rudy. We usually, like, we usually do that. Like, kind of have people share that didn't get an opportunity. Cool. And to. I'm not like trying to say in the meeting is no good or anything. I'm just, I'm a very critical person, and. 
it could be an, I'm an arrogant fuck and I think it should be my way or the highway. But I would but, like for you to try to bring some more order to it. I, what do you think? It could. I mean, look, I, I agree with you. I think a meeting has a format for a reason. And, you know, we are unruly by right. kind of definition and default. And, um, yeah. And I'm, I also identify with this thing that when the, my expectations not met, I'm out. You know, even if a meeting hits 61 minutes, I'm like, I hope you all relapse. I'm fucking, why am I still, I feel mm. trapped immediately. I'm <laughs> like, I don't care. This is not cute that it's running over. This is bullshit. Right. I'm, I am a creature of, of like all of my freedom and inspiration comes from structure and routine. Like within the context of structure, I can function on the place of inspiration. But mm. if there's chaos around me, I shut down. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Same as like, I know I'm going over, but I'll just finish on this. I'm like, I don't care anymore. The timer went off. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. So, Whereas I think he's kind of the opposite. Like he's an extrovert and he energizes from people and no, stuff. No, but on. I, but bro, I'm with that. No, like I, I think that like, Sometimes to harness the thing, like you have to like go into the chaos and, 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 and notice the people and like attract different people. And, but I want to a degree, the order. Yeah. I want it. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not describing any of what I just said as virtue. It's all defect. It's all like my expectations not being met. Right. So therefore, and it's like, you know, how do you know, you know, because then I'm shut off from potentially hearing the thing yeah. that was the reason yeah. I came. Yeah. Like, I think I, you definitely did I that. I thought of that tonight and, and I just, I, fuck, I just. But check this out, bro. Like, we need you. Like, we need your, like, guys, you know, we need to have, like, a group conscience after the meeting and be like, yo, we need to get back on track. If you're down, I would love to have that. I mean, but so did you think that the meeting, what were your honest thoughts of the meeting like itself? First of all, I thought the energy was great. I think what the meeting stands to do is really powerful. And there's a great, um, there's a great reason for it. Like mm. it's, it's not just another meeting. It's, it's, it's doing something really um, special. I have to say that like Ray's voice sharing fills me with so much dread and anxiety because it's like particularly as someone who's never been here before it's like trying to cross a freeway on foot and so it then so i think to your point you know bringing it back to saying like please raise your hand and introduce yourself before you yeah. speak so it doesn't become 18 people showing up to watch a discussion between three a hundred percent um yeah like I, mean, I, I was literally in this meeting, I was going to tell Paul, like, yo, like, this isn't your meeting. Y y can you try to just chill and give other people a chance? I know you know a lot about the fucking Sermon on the Mount. Like, you're like, we need you. But can we try to give other people some space? But you can't rely on the individual. You have to have a leader. I know. And, and I love that. And we're going to. But the problem is I think he's the best candidate to be that leader. Yeah. So if he's the leader, maybe he'll be more focused on like yeah. not sharing all the time. Well, he has to follow the rules just as well as anybody else yeah. if he's a leader. There just has to be the rules. Partic but, yeah, particularly if he has to start the meeting by stating what they are, he'll be reminding himself. Yeah, yeah and he needs to be an example of the meeting. I yeah. think that could work. And it's for, it's for the same thing that he just said. It's, Sam just pointed something out like that I think – 
it is a special meeting and it should be preserved. It shouldn't be abandoned. It should be, we should make it what it needs to be because there's fucking, there was 300 people watching this meeting tonight mm-hmm. in and out. Yeah. I mean, it's you know how hard it is to get 300 people to, there was 250 people live streaming. Do you know how hard it is to get 250 people in a fucking live stream? No, I have no idea, but I, I know it's hard. People with 2 million followers only get like 100. Wow. Well, it's, it's cool because you have no idea, but you did it. Well, no, I have four. Well, he, I, I have four, I have like four hundred and twenty thousand followers on TikTok, mm-hmm. and that's where we were streaming it. So that took a lot of work, and I've been sort of pounding this idea since the quarantine of like learning to lose. And so I'm sober, my wife's not. Vulnerability is our greatest strength. Like leaning into all that, and it's been like resonating with a lot of people. And now we have the sober living, and we have this meeting, and like this podcast, and it's like this movement. And he's a big part of it but I see him kind of drifting, but I like what you said. And I think that like, I don't know if you want to come back or whatever, but like, I'll be here next Monday dude. let's fucking do this, bro. Like let's make this meeting what it should be, but you got work and shit. So here's my dilemma. I work all day. I come here. We typically leave here like two in the morning. Mm, So not lately, but, but I think we'll be done before midnight before well, From now, now, on. now it's streamlined more because at your house there was the setup. You know, we used to have to set up the live stream and then break down the live stream and reset it up in the kitchen. It took time, a lot of work, but now we have this facility, which is fucking—it's incredible. Well, look, do you want me to? You want me to try to commit? I would love that. Okay, so I, I can I you. have a? When there's a leader, there's a what do they call it? Like an alternative, the leader can't make it. What do they call that person? Uh, the other person that fills in when the leader can't show up. Mm-hmm. Backup. Backup, but there, there's a term for it. I don't know if a, there but... is a term for it, actually. I oh. think that the secretary just needs to sort of like... Well, sometimes there's a secretary and a co-secretary. Oh, okay. And, and but they he... usually rotate week after week. Oh, yeah, co co-secretary, right. Yeah. So the... Okay, cool. Now that... And this is sort of my way to... And I just wanted you to do it your way. See how it goes. I'm not feeling it. I feel what you're feeling. And I felt like in the beginning, people were kind of resentful. No, it's a order. fucking ego boost. I don't want it. I don't like what happens. And it's like me. I, I talk too much and I don't like how I feel. All right. Let's do this, bro. You want to be my co-leader? Sure. Or you think, yeah? Yeah, why not? Okay, so I'll trade numbers with you if I can't, because I, sometimes I do work late. Wait, didn't we just agree that the guy needs to be the leader, or are we not? Well, if I'm going to be the leader, then I'll be the leader, and then oh my god, I'm whoever so glad takes over, happening. whoever takes over next, they've got to do the same thing I do. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be arrogant. No, no, no let's do I'm it. Just no, saying, as a I result, know I have experience. Format. Yeah, I have experience running meetings, and you started it, you wrote the format, and we have fallen. Away, far from was grace. The, was the format originally read at the beginning of the meeting? Yeah, I would read it, but I had it memorized, so mm-hmm. I just... And, and there are a few things that we've lost. Maximum three times you can share. That was a really hard one to keep. Um, raise your hand before you share and introduce yourself. And th- limit your sharing to three minutes or something. Like Those things have just... It's just become a shit show. 
where we're just all talking and which there is something kind of cool about that though. But like, but that happens anyway. So you have to keep that at bay. So as long as you're in charge, you keep that, you be the one to sort of moderate that. And I'm cool. I would like to I go to a meeting that, that has a really uh, useful phrase in the format because it's a crosstalk meeting where they say, we just ask that no one member dominate discussion. Mm. So instead of saying like count to three and then even if there was that one yes where you agreed, that's it. You know what I mean? So everyone's like like stuck in the checking themselves. Yeah. Just be, <coughs> just don't be a selfish prick and yeah. try yeah, and, and that's remember. What we would say before the meeting too. Like yeah. there, there are times when I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to keep this thought for me or to, to know and so you, I don't need to share fucking everything. You know what I mean? And if you hold on to that thought, it might morph into even a better a hundred percent thing after you've listened to a few people or whatever, or maybe it wouldn't even have been necessary to share that you have something better or whatever. Totally struck. We just thrive in structure. Wow. So you like actually down to like come every week and yeah. like help us make this thing like the way it should be because we can even move this up into that bigger room potentially. Um, or this maybe, as in the why? podcast or the meeting? No, the meeting, oh. but I don't know. Actually, maybe we should keep it down here. We could just put more chairs. I just don't know if it grows. I don't know if there's enough room. There's something in the meeting today about mortgaging for later and maybe just mm. do this for yeah, now. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Move it. If it moves, if it yeah, grows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So we're here for now. We have an outside. We have once summer comes and um, oh, dude, in the summer, I bet it's gonna be. Full. I mean, like I don't even need, like I'm done promoting this meeting. Like we have people coming. Danielle's bringing more. Like we should almost just like just chill. People are aware of it. And it will grow. Out? How did you find out? Yeah, Danielle sent me a text last week saying, "Please come to this meeting," and and a link to the live stream, which I felt uncomfortable watching for some reason. I was like, I'm not in the meeting so mm. i see that's for like it felt like i was snooping you know <laughs> right <laughs> but you're it, like man. there are a lot of younger there are a lot of people all over the world that like don't even know about any of this who are like following like fa- who found me my my resistance to it was nothing to do with the fa- i think it's a brilliant thing that you stream it oh cool i just because I got the message halfway through the meeting, I was like, if I wasn't there at the beginning, I'm kind of just tor- a tourist at this point. Plus, you're sort of probably a lot like me, which is like, I'm not that. I got to, I want to be at the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's it is interesting about the live stream and, and such and such that I found interesting is we got people from many different countries. It's crazy. Piping in and cities and, you know, the East Coast. And- yeah, we, we also need and we have Mikey who's usually like li- like watching questions and because you can't do a Zoom meeting with this many people. And the fact that it's accessible to anyone is really dope. It's not an AA meeting. It's for anyone. And we have a large following. I'm like, I don't know, this might sound ambitious, but I'm actually trying to sort of influence culture in a big way as far as like the shame surrounding social media presenting your best version like let's be honest let's be real let's be flawed like it doesn't always have to be the best picture of yourself like and 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 why are we so afraid to share like the downfall like i got fired from my job like i had a fight with my wife like where did I look we're just i want to try to see if we can learning to lose is the brand around this whole thing and it's all about vulnerability is the strength and 
just trying to change how people look at what they're sharing online and how we can use this medium for good. It's a car. It's a medium. It's not, I don't think social media is inherently good or bad. It's the people using it. And if we can change how we see it and use it for good, then let's fucking do that. You know? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about this inclusive nature of meetings and, and again, you know, not limiting, limiting it to alcoholics is that, you know, Big Book was written a long time ago. A was started a long time ago. And when they said, like, the only requirement for it, for membership is desire, I still feel like the desire to stop drinking is too limiting. Like, mm. in the sense that um, right. I feel like my job is in, in carrying the message, my job is to kick the gate as wide open as I possibly can. Right. Because in my experience, if you're in a meeting there's not really a question about whether or not you need to be, you know, you found yourself there because you are, there is a hole that you're seeking to fill, you know? And again, this comes to that whole thing of like pan addiction and, you know, people say, well, I'm an addict. I'm not an alcoholic. It's like, it's not about the hole. We threw it down. It's about the hole we're trying to fill. Everyone's hole is the same shape. Everyone's hole is the same size as the human condition. It's not this like yeah. limited to, we, you know, we alcoholics. That's what Jason and Victoria used to say. But again, in demystifying the shame about the fact that we're here and this idea that this is like some kind of leper colony, it's like, again, mm -hmm. no, you're either, you know, I feel like I watched so many people go through life thinking it was because of social media in a big way. It's supposed to be easier. Everyone else, and I'm the only one finding it difficult. Like it was supposed to be different. It should have been easier. And from what I can tell, everyone else is having a much better and easier experience of this than me. Oh, like getting sober or just life? Just life in general. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. the fucking problem. Yeah. Because when you say getting sober, you're really talking about just living, yeah, living like, life. Like I have an ad that I made that's like, it's like, you know, the ad, it's like a little 30 second video of, of me talking about like, do you ever feel like when you're done scrolling? And there's all these images that pop up while I'm talking of like beautiful people and like on a yeah. yacht. I'm like, do you ever feel like when you're done scrolling, uh, you feel like worse, worse about yourself and, <laughs> you, and you know, something about you're comparing yourself to like better, ver like fake, uh, real versions of other people. And, and I'm like, they're, they're, they're not even, that's not even really what they are. And, and then this clip pops up of like my wife, like screaming at me, like, us having this like gnarly fight right. and then it's like boom there's nothing wrong with real life and and the background is the um the original true you know the true romance Hans Zimmer song yeah yeah it's the yeah, original so cool. from Badlands right I don't know if you remember the movie Badlands with Sissy Spacek and uh, Martin Sheen yeah, yeah I know the movie. that song Hans Zimmer re reinterpreted that song so it's the original version it's that that's like the one of the greatest songs. You know, it's the, one of the most recognizable riffs of all time. Right. Well, I don't know. A lot of kids don't know that. We I mean, know I'm, that. I'm saying that uh, within my generation, I guess yes, is what I mean. Yes, yes, But yeah. How, so that's how old are you? Just curious. Yeah, I'm 40. 40. Okay. Yeah. I'm approaching. I'm, I'm 50. I'm the elder. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I once said to my mom, I think my 30s and 40s are going to be my best decades. Um, I was eight, but I, it turns out I was right Glad about that at eight. Yeah. We were walking around, um, like English equivalent of home Depot and I was overwhelmed by the desire 
to or the fantasy of of building my own home of of being uh, I, I had this i imagine myself choosing faucets and tiles and i was like i and also i think the point you know however inarticulately that i'm making it is that i was like i know that this head is going to sit more comfortably on adult shoulders than it because i was like this at eight super cerebral very heavy-headed you know um i worried about everything i i tried to process everything with with intellect and so i lived in a very kind of exhausting space as a child that other children didn't get so i got a hard time at school and you know um uh and i started writing because i got to create worlds where i everything was under my dominion no one said anything i didn't like if i didn't like someone i could just kill them can't do that off the page but suddenly i got zeroed in on this world where i got to play god and i got completely addicted to it Hmm. um but yeah i knew i knew that um so you think that's a positive or a negative or i don't honestly ascribe value to it i just think it's what it is you know it's like it it's very much who i am and i think the key is is like through sobriety i've been able to just come to terms with instead of being like when am i going to grow up and be someone else is it still exhausting uh no because i've definitely learned how I, I, his like i here's how it's an asset so in in before i got sober i lived my life on the basis of everyone standing around me with my life in complete flames with everyone going um this clearly isn't working when are you going to run from the burning building and i would be like don't worry about how this looks i got it figured out and of course i didn't but i my whole thing was just admit nothing and hope that you can trick this into being something you actually enjoy instead of faking every step you take as you know not being something that you dread and um when i got sober i was able to take that very same facet in my makeup um into my writing which is to say that it takes a while to 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 turn a writing career into something you can live on if you if you ever if you ever do (laughs) and so in the many years it took to do that my family would say and the people around me would say what uh not looking good bro maybe and i'd be like and my response was always don't worry about how this looks i know what i'm doing and of course, the voice in my head was like, "Yeah, but do you? Um, this is getting pretty close to the wire." And 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 I was able to just take this very alcoholic facet of ignoring all evidence that says maybe you should turn back, and carry it to you know, I mean, the start line. I I always thought like selling a screenplay or getting paid to write was the finish line, and it's like no, that's the start line, and that's where the work really begins and this you know i mean i have you got to that point yeah i um i I was kind of sharing about it in a very general way in the meeting because i i don't like doing cash and prize of shares but Mm -hmm. yeah it's been a i mean look i came out here in the beginning of 2013 and that was again like i'm sober now and i've got a deal with the universe that we're gonna hand in hand with my creator and i'm aligned with you know because i thought what i wanted for myself was good and right so I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to get welcomed with open arms. I'm a brilliant writer. And again, I was like, I've done the work. I've got this library of great scripts. And it's about the, the I'm moving to LA to give the town the opportunity to catch up with how good I am. 
this is how deluded I was. Um, then I got off the plane and found out that LA is like, coming to LA as a writer is like arriving at the NFL for a draft that's not happening. And they're like, we've got all the players, why are you here? Um, and and then it becomes about an abject refusal to quit. But uh, I spent the next few years railing against this idea that like, it wasn't working and I didn't know why and I was trying and I was doing everything I could. Um, and then in 2015, I got an offer on a, a screenplay and I was working in treatment at the time. And I was like, here's my ticket out of working in treatment. The crazy part was I, when I started working in treatment, I was like, I thought I only ever had one monetizable skill. And the day I started working in treatment, I was like, okay, I've got two monetizable skills. Mm. I love working with these people in crisis. Oh, you do? You enjoy I love it. it. And, I have, and I have found out, without wishing to sort of play my own violin, that I have an affinity for, for um, talking to people who, who are struggling and, and, and giving them hope. Mm. And I became completely addicted to the work. So suddenly for all of like 13 bucks an hour, I was, I was at this place 80 to 100 hours a week because wow. I, I couldn't stay away from... And it's a great ego-filling prophecy that, you know, suddenly you're surrounded by people who think everything that you say is amazing. So you're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go back to that place where, mm -hmm. you know, because my wife thinks it's all bullshit because she's mm -hmm. heard it in every meeting she's ever been to. But these people have never heard it. So I I got really into it. And um, Oh, you're married to an alcoholic? I was, yeah. Oh. Um, and um, so... Oh, yeah. you did share. You did share about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so I was, I, I came out here, I got married. It was all like, I need to find a way to make this work. And, for, you know, it, it was what it was. And, and my, my separation from my ex-wife is, is the thing of which I'm most proud in my recovery. Like when I took six years, I, my wife and daughter gave me a cake and I just, I described them as the gifts of sobriety and I spent a year wanting a do-over. I was like, that's not what I meant. And I went back the following year and I was like, they are not the gifts of sobriety. My wife and daughter are incidental to recovery. The gift of sobriety is I'm there when they go to bed and I'm still there when they wake up. Mm. But, but when we decided to end our marriage, we, we got, we sat down on the couch that evening. We we held hands and we said the serenity prayer mm. and we, made a decision to never go to war and we've held to that like f four years on you know we spent christmas together we love each other we care about each other we exist to create a safe environment for our daughter to thrive how old and is so, your daughter six. Oh, mine's seven and the only perfect thing i'll ever create so with her at the forefront of all of our decision making which we learn from the traditions of this program. Like there's the you, the me, and the we in any given relationship. And the we has to come before the you and the me mm. or the whole thing will fall apart. I just went through this. We didn't, we didn't do that by default. We both come from multiple divorces and, and alcoholism in our family through all of our p collective parents and all of our collective grandparents. So like the chance that my daughter is not an alcoholic is pretty low. But the point is that she's being raised by sober parents in a sober environment well, and sober home. That's not true. You never know. You no, never I'm, know. I'm kind yeah. of kidding. Okay, but like, okay. she's got some legacy to yeah, yeah, to yeah. outrun. But um, you know, the point is that the grace with which we've managed to separate and never 
Never say the thing you can't take back. Never allow the moment to define the future. To to just know that like if it's hard now, that doesn't mean it will be hard forever. Has has completely saved us. And um, uh, so yeah, the one of the, the greatest gift of my recovery is the grace with which I've been able to separate from my ex wife. But mm. the um, the point is that yeah, so I got this job that I loved but I couldn't support my family doing it a hundred hours a week. Mm. And then I got this offer to, from a company to buy my screenplay. And I was like, here mm-hmm. comes my cash and prizes. Mm-hmm. And as soon as this deal closes, I can stop being, I can stop working in treatment, refusing to see that maybe there was a greater plan unfolding. And then, uh, and then a client came in and um, I don't know how specifically I can really talk about this, but a client came in and I uh, was a stand-up comedian and glommed on to me uh, the first time I, I drove her to a show. Um, she said something life-changing in her show. Um, I'm just going to tell the story because I think it's it's important and I, I know she won't mind me telling it. I'm not going to say who she is anyway. She was eight days back from a 13-year relapse and they said to me, you're going to take her to do a show. And I was like, what? This is abuse. She's dying. She's detoxing. What are we talking about here? Um, the abuse of making her work, you mean? While I mean, she's I, I, didn't, I don't know if they were making her, but I, th- I even felt like giving her a pass to go and do this. While I mean, all I'd seen of her for the first seven days of her time in the center was under a blanket, smoking and shaking and, you know, just barely standing up. And suddenly they're like, yeah, she's, gonna, she's got a show. You're going to take her. Okay. So she gets in the van and I take her and we get there. And the whole time no one says anything in the car and, and we get there. And I'm like, are you going to be okay? She's like, just get a seat. I'll be fine. She goes backstage. I'm in the crowd. I'm like, I'm about to watch the end of someone's career. Mm. And a couple of the comedians come out and, and now it's her turn. And I'm like, here we go. And she comes through the curtain and she bursts into life as this absolute force of nature. Like Isn't that nothing incredible? I've ever seen. Isn't yeah. that incredible? The true epitome of the difference between professionals and everyone else. I think it's more than that, though. Like the love for it, the yeah, and the, the love of craft, and, and and just yeah, yeah, the innate. Like she's probably not a comedian, like a. It's not a profession. She is a right. comedian. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Right, right. It's not what she does. It's what who she, she is. is yeah. yeah. So, so in the midst of a set, she made a joke about uh, Bill Cosby, which had just come out in the news at the time. Um, and the way that she structures comedy is that she'll make a joke and then she'll she'll make a more political point that she wants to. Mm. And in this case, she made the joke about what he'd done, and then she said, "You know, I think the reason that he entitled himself to do what all these women claim that he did is because he started to believe that he was the arbiter of all of his own genius, when in truth, as creatives, we're all just a channel for the divine." Mm. And my blood ran cold, just like it just did right now. Mm. And I was like, "I think I came on this job to hear her say that. Like, I think the whole reason I'm in this job." Is to hear this moment. Can you repeat it one more time, what she said? Yeah, she said, I believe that the reason he entitled himself to do the things to these women that he did was because he'd gotten into the notion that he was the arbiter of all of his own genius, when in truth, as creatives, we're all just a channel for the divine. Mm. So he was self-deifying. Right, he thought it was coming from yeah. him instead of realizing that when, so when you... when you said your blood run cold, you didn't mean like 
in a bad way you meant like no i mean for me when your blood runs cold that's the universe going we're right here and you can check back in anytime you want because i'd been in a state of of at that point seven and a half years of self-will run riot spree mm-hmm. and remorse and none of it working um but, but here's the thing about it that's kind of uh kind of messed up is we don't even really realize that's what we're doing you know it's not like we're in it's not intentional. We're just... No, I, people would say to me, it sounds like you're just holding on. And I was like, I'm not holding on. This is what ambition looks like. Right. Yeah. It's like... But, you know, as was, we talked about this a lot in the meeting, and it comes up all the time, I, I think, in, in meetings, is, is how do you delineate between self-will and ambition? And I think, you know, there's an opinion, so it's definitely subject to change. But where I'm at is that I believe ambition... Um, spiritually healthy ambition is coupled with trust in the process, which means I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can for the outcome that I want, safe in the knowledge that the outcome will be perfect no matter what it is. Yeah. And there's, when it, a, there's a page in that book that describes that so well, I go back to it almost every day in my mind. It's God's will for us is going to be vital Oh, I don't remember exactly, but more interesting and better than something we can come up with for ourselves. And I've really just t- latched on to that because I'm with you. I'm I'm grabbing my phone because I want to read something to you that's about yeah. this very Cuz it's going to be better than anything I can oh, even I come up with. Of yes, yes that is. It's on page 29. It's on page 29 of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, go for it. Um so, funnily enough, my manager actually sent this to me, which I Sorry, love I him had, for. I had to eat something. I've just been going all day. What's up, bro? How's it going? It's going great. We're just right in the middle of this podcast. We just got... No, no, you're great, bro. We're stoked to have you here, dude. I can't wait to catch up with you. So, uh, yeah, just on the subject of like... Uh, you know, my will versus that of the universe and this the finite mind being completely incapable of conceiving the possibility. Because like I said in the meeting, like I always think the universe wants the opposite of whatever I want for myself. Like, because I can't fathom the idea that maybe it wants the best for me. And maybe our wills are aligned, but it's a little bit like if every time you showed up at, if you showed up to give someone a gift and they were like, I know what you bought me, can you just give it to me? You'd be like, I don't really want to now. <laughs> Whereas if they said, hey, how you doing? You could say, I got you this cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in like, I know what it is, so send it down the pipe. Because mm-hmm. now's the time. I have a kid and, a, you know, one of the most, I'm sorry, I know I said I was going to read a thing. I will read it in a second. We got all the time in the world, so don't worry. But I, um, I started working with a sponsor at this time and the apex of the pain I was in around like, I'm doing all the stuff. Why is nothing working? Why do I hate every second I experience and dread every step I take? And I was secretary of my home group where everyone thought I was great because I sounded really good. I was really good at sounding great and I was dying inside all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was, on a, I was on a tour of circuit speakers around LA because I wanted all the best people to come and speak at my meeting because I wanted everyone to think I was a great secretary. And I, I went to Sundowners one night and I heard this guy who was very clearly doing the work. And, and I asked him to come and speak at my meeting, and he came, and he spoke on the fourth step. And, and he, after, he just tapped me on the leg and said, why don't we get lunch tomorrow? And I said, yeah, great, cool, let's do it. And I go to lunch, and, and he goes, how you doing? 
and I uh, I go into this probably quite crazed rant about everything that's going on. And he goes, you know, it sounds like your life's amazing, but it doesn't sound like you're enjoying it at all. Mm. And I was like, no, no, I, um, uh, mm. maybe. And he goes, you know, you got seven and a half years. Like it, it's kind of time you 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 get to enjoy this now. It doesn't need to be this hard. It looks like it's really hard. Anyway, so this really powerful thing he said to me was that you're in a state of spree and remorse in sobriety. And the way of, he explained it was spree and remorse. So it, the book describes that when you drink, you go on a spree yeah. and then you feel a state oh, of remorse. Right, right. Yeah, okay. That requires a greater spree to kill the remorse, which results mm. in a greater spree sense of remorse greater spirit and it's like this so we're just taking the cycle. alcohol out of it and right okay. so so the way you described it to me was he he goes you wake up every morning with a good intention which is i want to take care of my wife and child and you go out in the world and you shake the tree and you call the people and you say what's happening with the deal and where are we this what's happening and how do we speed this up and because i got a i got stuff to do i got mouths to feed i've got good intentions i'm a good person so there's the spree and then the remorse kicks in because at night you get into bed and you, it didn't work. You didn't, all you did was annoy everyone. Mm. And so your best thinking is, okay, that didn't work. So tomorrow I need to do the same thing with more intensity. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing that for 10 years. I, I did it too. And I was like, oh, that sounds right. And he goes, do you want to do something different? And I was like, I do. And this is the thing I wanted to do different, but course correcting that knee jerk. I mean, I called him about a week later and I was like, right, okay, I'll figure it out. I've got this plan where in the morning I'm going to wake at six. I'm going to write a gratitude list, which I'm going to send you. And then I'm going to do a five minute meditation, five minutes of uh, yoga. And then I'm going to eat this crazy healthy smoothie. I'm going to go to work and then I'm going to come home and write for three hours. And then so that I'm fulfilling both making money and building my career. I, anyway, the point is, I got through this exhausting list description. No, I get it. We do that, and then it's. But not- he was he, well. He was like, "It sounds great, but there's no God in it. It's all you deciding yeah. to be perfect." Exactly. And of course, whenever I do that, it lasts one day. I do, if I do it once, you know. But the first thing I do when I do stuff like that is I put I put it in iCal for the rest of time. Like I'm like, wake, wake, eat, pray, meditate at six a.m. And I'll repeat it for the rest of my life. Well, we read about that tonight at the meeting, too. Yeah. Making a vow to do something, right? Yeah. But perfectionism is the death of anything good. And it's like the moment I, see, uh, the moment I set out to be perfect, uh, it, it's just an act of self-hate because it's an unattainable ideal. Mm. Um, what about when you're trying to perfect a script? You, you have to come back to the idea that, that good enough is good enough. And I and and if you'd said that to me a while ago, I'd have said that just sounds like settling for mediocrity. Right. It's like good enough is good enough. And also I think big ingredient we always skip here is it's not a means to an end. It's the journey that is the means and the end. So right now is life and it's happening and this is this is as good as it gets right now. So not when you sell the script or complete the script or whatever it is. Right. It's right now you're doing you're writing it and that is that is everything. That's yeah. it. There is nothing else. No. There isn't. And and the only time I really get three dimensional clarity on that is when I think my health is slipping away. Um when I came to the States to get my green card, weirdly they want you to prove you don't have gonorrhea but they don't it's the only std they want you to prove you don't have not sure why so i went to get 
an STD test. And the doctor was like, when did you get your last one? And I was like, I don't, uh, and it was two years before I got sober. And I was suddenly like, oh my God, I'm finally getting everything I want. Now I'm going to find out it's all over. Mm. And in the two weeks I had to wait to get the results, I had this absolute, if I could have bottled it, I'd be a billionaire. Everything about my life is perfect. I'm overpaid Mm. and I just want everything to stay the same. If it stays this, if I'm in this apartment in West Hollywood for the rest of my life, I've won the fucking lottery. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. I feel it right. You know what's great about this podcast is I feel it right now. You do? Well, just because of what he's saying. Like, this is the thing. We are remembering. It reminds you. Yeah. Dude, look at this, bro. Yeah. It's great. We have, he said it, we're having great lives, but we're not enjoying them. You know, and, and, and I'm gonna look back on this five in a year and be like, "Fuck, how cool was it? How cool was that podcast? Like right before we had a full house, it was like, I don't know. I just feel like everything is just, yeah, yeah. But the 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 problem is that like the moment I got the results that everything was fine. Yeah, he went right back. I was like, okay, now is it is good, but it also needs to start getting way <laughs> more epic. Yeah. You know, it's like, but the 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 key for me is like, and I, it's again, it's a practice. Like if I look at my life in terms of where I think it should be, I hate every. It's like, I'm way behind. Nothing's good enough. Nothing's big enough. But if I look at it in comparison to where it was, you're not, I can't believe it. You're not Cormac McCarthy. No, but you, you should be. You like him? Yeah. But I mean, who's like your favorite writer or, or who are some of the writers you look to as like, aspire to be i don't know i'm just curious sorry to change no no i'm i'm now racking my brain i want to go back to this but i don't whatever so i think one of um one of the smartest writers of our time is c.s lewis yeah um (laughs) how crazy is that the have you read mere christianity yeah i'm in a book group right now reading the great divorce and you didn't even he's not even a screenwriter he's yeah see that's funny that like when 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 artists are asked to compare themselves to other artists in the same it's like that's dope i mean i'm not for a second putting myself on that no but 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 that's what you're looking at and like the other screenwriters that you're peers with aren't you're not really like i don't know you're not putting them you know what i mean right that's a yeah i mean i just i appreciate the the ability i mean his ability with language is 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 um unparalleled for me but because of his ability to sermonize without proselytizing that i just it it, it, every line is a statement of humility that's what i was gonna say he just he's so like humble (laughs) but accurate right like he's not Skipping any, but so, his so ability to get to the absolute. It, but when core you say when, when you say sermonize without process, you mean he's not like selling it. He's just yeah, it's not pious and it's not it's not like he's not saying anything from a place of having decided. It's like when you read his yeah. work, you're discovering it along right, with like, him. This is what makes sense to me, and this is why. Yeah, right. yeah, and he's using a lot of examples. Yeah, that I like that, like the yeah, going I mean, to the dentist or. Right, he does that a lot. Yeah, right? the screw tape letters basically manages to mic- put under the microscope every facet of human defect in the most 
playful, fun, identifiable. I, th- I thought it was a letter from the devil or some shit. It is. So, so the book is about a young devil who has been charged with tempting a man away from Christianity and toward character defect. Mm. And the, the, the letters are all from his uncle, an older, more experienced devil, who's like, here's how you're going to do it. This is how you'll get under the skin because he's flawed in these ways. And what he's really doing is using this device to point out all the ways that we are flawed. But often in very funny and identifiable ways, like he, he, he describes this character's mother as always showing up at a house where someone's making dinner, where they'll say, we've made, you know, spaghetti bolognese. And she'll say, don't go to all that trouble for me. I'll just have an egg sandwich. And it's like, well, no, we've already made the spaghetti bolognese. Now we'd have to make another sandwich for you. But you're acting on the basis of, I don't want to be in any trouble. But you are being But trouble. you're actually creating more work. For, and, and it's interesting because actually... And gratitude. It's exactly what my stepfather does. Every single time he comes to my house. Don't, don't do... I'll just, just make me something completely different. And it will be like a cheese sandwich, so it doesn't sound like an onerous extension of what you're already but doing. Why? But it's because it's the it's the need to feel um the need to feel truly um special serviced I, I i don't know though what if it was like coming from a place of insecurity where you almost don't you don't even feel worthy. like worthy of i know for me that's what it is I think that's insightful, but in the case of the person I'm talking about, it's definitely... Yeah, okay. I want you to go the extra mile, but I want to sell it as being easier than going the extra mile. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that, like, uh, I, I can get into trouble a lot with, like, people who give me gifts, because I don't know how to receive them, because they I'm, like... I gave you a gift. Did you like it? For Christmas. Dude, we didn't even know who it was from. 2V from B. We're like, who, who gave us this? Yeah, that's part of the fun. Yeah, we didn't know it was. Yeah, it's like a thing with, you know, it's funny because when we got it, I didn't know it was from, and it was like a plug, an outlet thing that turns. And you can charge your phones and stuff on the top. Yeah, it's actually really cool, but I thought it was some fan that sent it, so I didn't really process, and then by the time she told me it was you, it was like, there was all this other shit going on, but yeah, we should bring it here. We could like use it here on the on the podcast. Thank you. That was really cool. I, I don't know that I got you anything. That's okay. But I saved your life, so. Yeah. We're, we're even now. <laughs> that he seems just, like a fair trade. He just went through, oh my God, bro. This fool's life just got, are you going to read this? Or do you I already, mean, when it, when it comes back I'll, around. I'll, we're going to read it. Run. I want to read it. But like, bro, this guy was at my house. I feel like I want to show you this little clip, but I'm not going to. This woman ruined his life. This woman who's. Got like a, she's like, you know, 16 years sober, big time person in AA, speaks a lot. She saw somebody at my house like filming like in her direction when she was talking about something personal and she flipped this, she lost her shit. Um, and she started screaming in my house and threatening and just, I, it's hard to even explain how sick was that the genesis for her ruining his life or was that already yeah. happening? Oh, it was. Then she left and called his wife and his, his, the mother of his child who he was already on the fence with and pretty much convinced her to not let him come home and he wasn't allowed home. So from that night, he couldn't go home, couldn't see his daughter, started living at my house 
it was probably the best thing that ever happened to him because he finally gained the independence. I mean, she had been, she sort of cut him off years before, a year before that, as far as like being his partner. Um, but he's been through a lot in the past year. I was gonna say if she could be convinced to you no, know buy a crazy, already, she was already. This was girl. just like the the straw that broke the camel's back as far as like you're not coming home, right? You're not even gonna see my daughter, your daughter, because this woman was throwing around some like stuff that was like, you know, just like stuff that was like demonizing him as a person because this woman has credibility and. You know, he was confiding her in early recovery about some some problems he was having, and you know, um, she used that against him later on when she didn't like that he was my friend and my people were filming. But whatever. So, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because you just recently you just said something about something that made me think of that. What were we just talking about before this? He's he's separated. He has a six year old daughter, and they did it in a very amicable. Very good way. Amicable. Amicable. No, no, no. But no, but right before I said I his life just got turned upside down, we were talking about something that made me say that. Um, you could put a gun to my head. I honestly, ten I seconds yeah, ago, I don't know what you're talking no about. idea. Uh, um, oh, no, because the yeah, well, we were talking about the. Uh, Oh, the gifts, like receiving a gift. Um, oh, yeah. The and I was like, yeah, so we put him up in our house. and But it wasn't like I was giving him a gift. It was like me and my, my wife thought like, wow, like he's a good dude. This is a really fucked up situation. We have a, a guest bedroom. Um, but like re- not being able to receive gifts and having this like awkward. You know what's funny is I feel like this, this, this needy, this, this, this um, egomaniac complex is kind of that, that your stepfather has probably comes from a place of like deep deep insecurity and all egomania comes from deep, deep yeah insecurity. so i mean in a sense that's kind of what it is fear insecurity lack of self-love right but it's the same as narcissism is 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 ascribed as being about excessive self-love when actually it's born out of absolute self-loathing right and and the need to be approved the need for the desperate need for approval because you're so and it's never enough because right. it needs to happen from inside and the destruction of everyone around you and, and we're bid I, to somehow self-elevate I, like when you were describing your thing when you were a kid like bro that was me i feel like you probably were almost i didn't know that you heard that because you left the room no i heard it Okay. I heard it. I, I, had to, I had to go to the bathroom. I drink a lot of liquids and I have to pee a bunch and I haven't been able to eat all day. I'm like under a lot of stress because we're opening this house and stuff. But dude, it was – dude, what am I saying? And it's normal I've always too. been under a lot of stress. Wait, he, it's wait, like what you were saying. get up and leave or I'll get up. It's just – that's just – Well, because sometimes – yeah, because sometimes it goes – but like, bro, like that is – like we're, how lucky are we to, to have found the truth – through that loss and pain, you know? Right. And I mean, this is, you know, when I was saying that, you know, the, the alcoholism is just a human condition with the volume turned up by one notch, you know, for Mm. me, the, the volume is just, the reason why I think alcoholism is a gift is because the volume is just loud enough that you have to address it. Yeah. Whereas everyone else gets to like, it's, it's like this background noise where like, Mm. I can, I can outrun that. But then they, you know, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, my parents did all dinner parties and 
I remember people would say to me, like, life's tough. Like, I don't know why you would say that to a child, but, you know, I think that's, I think the point is that, like, that people live lives unexamined and just assume that their their struggle with the human condition is what everyone meant when they they said life was going to be hard and it's like no actually it doesn't need to be nearly as hard as a human condition unchecked makes it Mm -hmm. but you know like this is you know it's that line that we are not human beings in search of a spiritual experience we are spiritual beings enduring a human experience Mm -hmm. i like how he just said it he said it like so much better than how we normally say it. Well, how do we say? We say we say it's we're the, it's, we're it's spiritual beings in a human body, or we're humans looking for a spiritual experience. You know, but it all comes back to that thing that you were saying about social media, where you look at it and you think everyone else has got their feet by a pool, but no one posts a picture of themselves in line at the post office because mm-hmm. they except you know, for Pat. No, I'm posting like the fight I had at the post office or I'm complaining about something or I'm saying, Hey man, dude, we're, I'm in this line. How cool is it that I get to be mailing something? I normally right. would be frustrated to be in this line, right. but if I'm sharing that with other people, I'm, it, it helps me see that, 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 you know, that have you ever, have you ever, um, listened to that? Uh, fuck dude, this is water by that rad writer. David Foster Wallace. Another writer. I don't know. This is water. This is water is like uh, the, uh, the story about the fish who's saying to the other fish, like, where's all the water? And they're like in it. Oh, yeah. It, it's about like being at the line. He's like, have you heard it? Yeah. Yeah. It's this really it's popular everywhere. YouTube video where right. there's like all this animation and he's talking about like you're frustrated at the store and the clerk and the fucking. And then like, whoa, you flip it and you're like, whoa, like she's been here for this long and she's trying to just feed her kids. And, and then you realize like everyone else is suffering and has their own stuff. And it's like beautiful. Like I've cried listening to that. And then I, I get to share that with people at the post office. But like it's usually starts with like I'm annoyed, you know. I'm always annoyed, but yeah, I don't think anyone, you know, it's like, even if you commit to, I'm um, saying I'm posting that, that I'm annoyed, right? Not that I'm like fucking crushing life, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, well, oh, this is fucked up, but let's get through this together. You know? Well, I think that, you know, if you, the, the great thing about the path that you're on is about, as you say, the learning to lose thing is, it's reminding people the the truth, which is, you know, the big lie is everyone else is finding it easy and I'm having a uniquely, ex- I've been singled out for a uniquely difficult experience. Is that for sure a lie? 100%. Okay. Damn, Billy, he still, he still thinks he's that guy. Well, I mean, you know, growing up being poor as shit and, he's and had a fucked heart. up life, I always thought, you know, that normal people had it better, but I'm starting to discover at the age of... 50 that everyone's got their own that's my point it's not it's not that you aren't it's not discrediting or discounting the the hardship of your existence Mm -hmm. what it discounts is the idea that everybody else isn't that beautiful girl with the the rich husband and they go to the trips and they have the stuff and they're wearing the stuff bro you don't think you you know my life right yeah You've started. Yeah, but you're crazy. <laughs> no, 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 but bro, you've dealt with my family a little bit. Yeah, it's a different kind of shit. It's like a mental warfare. 
So maybe we weren't poor, but like it's hard, dude. Like, dude, you've dealt with, you know how it can get, no? Yeah, no, I know your family, but maybe your family's not that one you see on Instagram, right? But you, but you thought I had it all handed to me on a silver platter. Like there was a point in time where you looked at me and you went like, "This kid doesn't even know what pain is." Or hard work. Or well, I, I would say even today that you know what pain and hard work is, but you still don't know what it's like to not have. Right. And, and, and the same thing goes for you not knowing what it's like to have like the kind of being in the middle of this kind of divorce and the, the family drama and the, and the manipulation and you know, the father True, who's I there, the father who's actually like giving you money, but like almost because he's not emotionally available. So it's like, you can see it, but you can't quite touch it. And it like creates a different kind of trauma inside someone's brain than not having that at all. I'm not saying which one's better or worse. I'm yeah, just yeah. I mean, my dad wasn't present either, but I get what you're saying. It's a different, it's all subjective, it's a different brand. It's all yeah. subjective or, uh, I'm just reminded of like when <laughs> I was new in sobriety, I would go to these meetings like sundowners and they, you know, it's a very LA thing to, promote this idea that like you get sober and then you go out and get yours and that if you haven't somehow there's something wrong with your spiritual program uh-huh. and one of the big that. like podium messages Dude, that I'm people send it to you sorry that's right i'm when gonna I... send it to both of you but i'll get I'll send it to you later when yeah, i get your yeah. number he said he just heard a podcast about what la sobriety no it's about hope okay but you come to la and then it's like why aren't you it's now you have everything you need. What do you have Why to show you in, for the fact that you're here? What do you have to sober? show? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're saying. What I have to show for the time sober is that I'm sober. Yeah. But that's not enough in these big meetings. And, and a lot of people, I think, get left with like, if I don't have a gigantic story that I can tell like an entertainer where I lost everything and then, but now check me out and all my cars and my houses, that my recovery is not working. But I would hear people you know, that like faux spirituality where they go, you know, I got the car and the house and the wife and the stuff and I had the money and it didn't fix it. And I would think, I want that lesson. I want to find out how much having a gigantic bank account doesn't help because I fucking... Did you get that or what? Because I'm sorry to bring you back, but you did sell a script and then you started... Are you still selling scripts or Yeah, so I um Dude, I, actually... I just totally cut everyone off. I'm sorry, but No. I'm just curious. No, sorry. Right. I was in, I can't even remember. I, this is the point. Like I was in the middle of a thought and I have no idea what I was even talking about. No, I know what you're talking about. What was you, it? You, you were saying how you would love it's like you would have loved to try. It didn't work for me, but I let me can I but just But also get here's it? the other problem with Can the I message? just get some of the here's money the and then pr- see that it doesn't work? But here's I the other it... problem is it always comes in the story where they're like, you know, I was doing an eight ball of Coke every 45 minutes and surprise, <laughs> surprise, I hated my life surrounding yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm but- like, I want to find out if coupled with a spiritual program. And, you know, I, here's another really important point. I was in a meeting in London in Chelsea, which is a wealthy neighborhood. It's like the Brentwood of, of London um, or the Beverly Hills. And I went to this meeting on Sunday morning. I sat next to a guy wearing a $30,000 Hublot watch. And I spent the whole meeting. I said to him after the meeting, we stood up and held hands and said the serenity prayer. And I said, I've just spent the last hour believing that if I never own the watch on your wrist, I'm never going to be happy. And I'll never forget what he said in response. He said, first of all, that isn't true, but it's very important that you don't discount the palliative quality of stuff. Meaning, 
No, the watch isn't going to make you happy. It's not going to change anything. It's definitely not going to sp- fill the spiritual hole. He said it like that way. Yeah, that, that's exactly what he said. So he was like super like smart and like... Yeah, he was English. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, but he... What he pointed out, which is so important, is that like if your house is in order, it's okay to enjoy stuff. Yeah. You can enjoy the car and the house and the watch yeah. and the stuff if your house is in order. But if you think... Work in the work in what is it? Work in the promises and the hopes that the steps come true. If you think going out and getting all the stuff is going to allow you to circumvent the need for spiritual growth, you are going to fall down your own spiritual hole. Because you know it's like this guy was sharing in a meeting one morning where he was like, "I, I want to buy this house and whatever." And I, I, I like if you imagine that the spiritual hole is the Grand Canyon, throwing a house into that hole to fill it. Like you, if you dropped it from, you'd be like, where'd it go? Is it, so yeah. I think I can see some of the wood, but like it would, that, that's the futility of trying to fill the whole stuff. Yeah. But if the, if the hole has been remedied, I don't know if we ever fill it, but if we are in the process of addressing that condition, there's nothing wrong with going out and getting stuff. No. It's just, and, and it actually does make you happy. Yeah, for like it feels a little, good. It feels good. Yeah, for like you, a little while. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know that it makes you happy, but I think you can enjoy it. Well, you, you learn to yeah. enjoy it. You it, learn. it doesn't make. Well, it depends. He's just using happy, but we know what you we, mean. You, you like really it, it learn, feels good. You learn to appreciate it, and you appreciate it. Like and, this microphone, yeah. like dude, we're, this we're this. There's thousands of dollars that like just for us to do this. Yeah, this is the Shure SM7B, and you got. Four of them at this table. Yeah, the, 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 one table. The, they're not that expensive, but I mean, the camera is, the laptop is, the sound card is, and then we got to edit Let it. Let me tell you it, something. When I got sober, I couldn't afford to pay attention. These are not cheap mics. Yeah, like, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're cheap compared to like. Yeah, but. There's yeah. always more expensive, nicer. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so fucking. It's like, I'm so blessed. I can't even believe it. It's just amazing. This table. That's funny that you knew what these were and what they're worth and stuff. I, I don't. I would not. So you sold. So you sold the script. I sold a screenplay. Yeah. Finally. So I was in the middle of this. this the reason I brought up the story about the comedian and I oh, went off right. into the thing about Channel for the Divine is I. What happened was I after the meeting after the show I said to her I have to tell you that I'd incidentally quit the job for a few months to take care of my child while my wife was working in production and I went back and I got back the day that this woman arrived in treatment. And so I said to her, I'm pretty sure the reason I came back to this job was to hear you say that because I think it might be the most important thing I've ever heard anyone say. And being a newly sober alcoholic or even just an alcoholic, she was like, I like hearing things like that. So she went to the treatment center and was like, Sam's going to be my driver. And so I went from like scrapping around fighting other drivers for these two-hour rides, taking people to meetings to like being, I was with her like 17 hours a day for 10 months. Um, on the road at comedy clubs, comedy store every night, having this unbelievable experience. Um, and all the while saying, no, this is great, and I'm having a life-changing experience, but I'm supposed to be selling screenplays. And this was, at this point, the deal had come in, and they were negotiating it, and I was told, like, it takes a minute to negotiate the deal, but it shouldn't be too long, shouldn't be too long. And I went through this 10-month process with, with this client, we're still friends. She's still sober. I had dinner with her a couple of weeks ago. Oh, good. Um, but all the while, I'm like, I'm supposed to be over there. This is great, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. This isn't what I do. And um, she left treatment, 
And I was like, I can't go back to whatever. So I started applying for a bunch of jobs. My marriage ended. Um, just as a side note, I'd spent my whole marriage saying like any second now, I'm gonna, I've sold, the, they're going to close the deal. We're going to have money. You can quit work. I'm going to take over. And I couldn't break out of the 13, 14, 15. So are you saying experience. that your marriage ended over financial distress? No, okay. but it didn't help. Okay. It was it was an overarching cloud in yeah. our marriage every day because she wanted to be home with the baby and the distribution of income was that she was making 85% of the money. Mm-hmm. And I was working 100 hours a week to not make enough to support us. And plus you were not there to help out too because right. you were working all the time. I was working all the time but running to stand still. I mean, you can't live on 13 or 4, even 15 bucks an hour by the time I left. Mm-hmm. Um and so by the time you left where sorry by the time i left the treatment center where i was working Uh, i was on 15 bucks an hour so it didn't matter how many hours a week i worked there was no world in which my wife could quit and i lacked any form of trust in the process so i just lived and it wasn't supposed to be like this instead of saying you know between us we are actually making it work Mm -hmm. but we'd gotten into the forever and ever and always which is Mm -hmm. it's always going to be like this it's never going to break we're going to be doing this forever Mm. and she came to me one day and she said will you please just call it we weren't even arguing we weren't having a shit we were having another kind of shit moment on the back of a thousand shit days but it was just like are we really going to do this forever and I would, whenever she said something like that to me, I would always be like, listen, we are going to start enjoying this any second now. We just got to hang <laughs> on in there. We just got, I always thought if we just get through this thing, whatever this thing yeah. is, then the cloud's going to break. No. And it's like, because I couldn't say, we're not happy. So she says to me, will you please just call it? And instead of fighting it, I just, again, I felt myself just drop my fists. And I said, I remember thinking, I have no idea how we're going to make this work. I'm terrified of not seeing my daughter every morning. But what I said was, okay. And I felt like I could breathe. So I knew I'd step back into alignment. Mm. And the next day, not the day before, the next day, I got an email from a company I'd reached out to four years earlier at the very beginning of my relationship with this woman saying, are you still looking for work? And I said, yeah. So they haven't contacted you in four years? and then no. you- I'd reached out to them and they said, hey, we might be able to meet with you. We're really busy right now. And it just kind of went dead. And, uh, and the day after. But this is my thing. It's like I, I see life like a full parking lot. And you have to let some of the old shitty cars out to let the ones that are waiting to get in in. But it requires trust. You know, you can't just have faith. You have to have trust. Well, I I know exactly what you're talking about because when my stuff split in that horrible way, she took my daughter, she took my car, she said, don't come back home. There was this thing hanging over my head. I thought my life was over. It's been eight months and my life is so good. I paid off all my credit cards. I have a good relationship with my daughter. I have some nice things. Worst case scenario is always the key to freedom. What? Every time you're like, if that happened, I wouldn't survive it. It's like, that's the thing that's the answer to all of your prayers. He said, worst case scenario is, is the key, is always the key to freedom. 
it was pretty fucked up, but now now I feel it's just better for everybody. But but you said trust. Uh, maybe I didn't understand. But what you, you no, were no, 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 no. You did. You're right. But I'm just wondering when you say trust, do you mean trusting God? I mean, tr- yeah, I mean trust in the unfolding plan of the universe. Yeah. Which is kind of like I've. Yeah. I was very very strong on the God thing for a long time, and I've kind of in a process of recalibration around not my faith, but what I mean by that word, oh, and yeah. what I believe in at this point and i'm sure again it's subject to change because it's just an opinion but i believe in universal creative force an underlying current that you can plug into she talked to danielle about that i mean this is the thing i'm talking about about ambition that like when you (laughs) when you um and this is actually a great segue into reading what i'm going to read but when you are in that place of shoulder down nose to the grindstone i'm going to just will my way through this you're in adrenal fatigue and burnout all the time when you couple your ambition with trust in the process Mm. you have a completely limitless energy supply because you know it's like for the longest time really uh, for the first eight and a half years of sobriety i lived on a basis of if i do this dot 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 this conditional game with the universe like i do the stuff and you give me the thing and i had to cross out the if and the dot 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 and instead of saying, if I do this, it's just, I do this, I do this, I do this. Hmm. Safe in the knowledge that all results are perfect. And my experience mm-hmm. is that when you, when you lean into the truth that everything's unfolding in perfect time and perfect order, you experience flow. Can I add a little something? Oh, I'm reading a book on flow. So hold it for a second. And not only that, oh, I'm losing it. I'm lo- Oh, so when I... Like I have this issue where if I'm not constantly achieving and working towards whatever, then I'm fucking up. But if you're trusting, it's okay if you take a day off and enjoy life or you stay up too late or whatever it is. It's like, oh, and just enjoy this. It's going to be fine. Mm. Maybe you need to rest. Maybe you'll do better tomorrow if you actually get some rest or you know what I mean? Like, But if you had a father that just instilled this work... You must be working all the time. Well, he's incredible. I don't know how he does it. it, It's half the truth. It's it's not untrue. It's just that if you couple that with trust in the process, you can work yourself to the bone every day without ever getting tired. Right. So what I'm saying is sometimes the breaks, like I, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff, and even the great philosophers, high achievers, they would work for maybe four or five hours in the morning, and then they would walk the rest of the day and just take it easy. They still achieved all kinds of stuff. There's a there's a balance, an ebb and a flow, and you got to know how to take advantage of the ebb and the flow. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. I experienced this with writing a lot because I'm reading a book on flow. I'll yes, tell you about you it after. Um, just that you know, I you know, at the moment I'm writing a ten episode series, and I'm writing all the episodes. And there isn't a day when I don't need to be pushing out roughly seven pages, which is fine. It's it's a it's a it's a decent pace, but it's a sustainable average. But I have to acknowledge that there are days when I can get to the computer and I can fire it up, and I've got all the juice in the world to do it. And there's something inside of me that's just like, nope, not today. And there is as much power in the breaks as, you know, when I'm away from the computer, as long as I'm yes, working. There's power in the breaks. That's profound. I am, 
you know, my subconscious is working. It's unfolding yes, things. Yes, the that, creative part. Right. We're all just a channel for the divine. I don't write well. I sit down and I channel whatever's coming down the pike. My job is to clear the channel. This is why I got sober, because what we do in, in ebriety is block the channel. You know what's bizarre about that, too? Sometimes the channel opens up for me late at night, and I have to get up and write something down, or I can't sleep. It's just going, and it's just, key, it's just coming in waves, right? And then other times, just nothing. Even if I wanted to write something like a poem, I just couldn't. Isn't that strange? Or do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, well, 100%. There's days when I write and I'm surprising myself with what's coming out. And there's yeah. days when I'm like, wow, this is embarrassingly dog shit. And I'm the same writer. So, and the key is this. When it's not working, I'm in the way. I'm, it's, when it's not working, I'm trying to write well instead of just channeling the writing. And um, but it's a practice, you know. the The channeling itself is a muscle that needs working, just like the writing. Um, like the sphincter uh, on your butt, you got to let the poop out, right? You know, like right. That's a bad analogy, but you know what I, I mean. mean it's, it's probably a muscle. the same thing. <laughs> um, you're reading a book on flow. Yeah, it's uh, the art of impossible. Okay, have you heard of that? No. Oh yeah. The, the, it's good. I'll just recommend it to you if you get around to it. You should read it that. I'm going to read this thing. Okay. So, we got to get through that. Yeah. So my manager sent me this thing. He happens to be a long time sober, which is a gift. And um, anyway, I'm, you may know the passage because it is Emmett Fox. And it's just about this idea of the difference between what you want for your life and, and how things actually unfold. So it says, as long as we insist on, uh, upon telling God his business, nothing very much can come of our prayers. The ox, the mule, the donkey will obediently pull your plow and your cart and take them where you want them to go, but you have to know where that is and how to get there. The unicorn will not do chores. He will not pull a cart or turn a mill. He will not take orders. The unicorn knows where he's going, and it is always somewhere that you could not choose because you've never heard of it. And in your present consciousness, you could not even dream that such a place could even exist. Nevertheless, there are such places and the unicorn knows them. And it is not interested in anything less. Someday it may happen, probably when you least expect it, that the unicorn will suddenly appear at your side, eyes flashing, nostrils quivering, pouring the ground with impatience. When that happens, do not try to put a bridle on him or, or look for some task for him to do. He will not do it. And there will be no time. No sooner, seemingly, has he appeared than he will go. So do not pause, but leap upon his back, for he is flying. He is a flying steed, and he wings his way to the gates of the morning. On that ride, problems are not solved, they disappear. The point is, you're either driving the ox, or you're riding the unicorn. And the key is, I have no idea where the unicorn's going, and I don't get to ask when we get there. Yeah, and but, the, what I like about it is you you just can't even really conceive where the unicorn's going because right. it's not it's in your paradigm. It's better than anything I could possibly yeah. imagine. Mm -hmm. I also love the idea of this winged horse that gives no fucks about what I thought I wanted. Yeah, and it's like, get on or don't, I'm going. My only issue with that is a unicorn's a unicorn and Pegasus is a Pegasus, and he kind of made them both, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that's great. Yeah. Okay, can I get back to... Real quick, you sold the script. 
So you, those you are, had a payday. I mean, again, this was I, your first payday for writing, correct? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting because at that point it had been... Can I back up for a second? Sure. I mean, I don't... I'm just uh, curious about this little story within everything because that's almost impossible right there. Coming yeah. from somewhere and coming to L.A. and actually selling, yeah. having a payday as a writer is almost impossible if you look at statistics. I so. had a great moment where the uh, the, the writer of, of um, at the time that came out, the most successful romantic comedy of all time, I called him, he's kind of a mentor of mine, and I said, uh, we closed the deal. And he said, welcome to the NFL. Nobody gets it. And, Nobody uh, gets here. To the where NFL, you're, where like, you're statistically oh. speaking, the amount of people that get to the NFL is like point zero zero zero. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, and it was like it was the moment where I I felt what I had done. Right. Because you know we again, I think it's important to point out that like you know we we get to all these milestones that we've um, made the goal for so long, and then write them off when we get there as not being that big of a deal or we're just like yeah it's you know it's cool but you know whatever it, it it'll be cool if the film gets made or whatever so you got your payday you, you you achieve the impossible and then your mind is still like oh that's it's the unsatisfiable mind that randy well, talks well, about let's see what happened oh you're not finished, well there, there's a, there's a <laughs> there are a few beats before that so i okay. so i leave i leave the treatment center i get this i get this job i got a job offer from this company and server companionship and I wrote back and I said, look, I am looking for work, but I actually hate the business of treatment and I'm trying to get out of it. You and said they, you loved it before. I loved the job. I hated the business. Oh, okay. I loved the clients. I hated the operation of what was happening above me. I loved everything around me, but not what was happening above like me. Like the administration. I felt honestly like I should be running clinical every day. I thought they should be asking me what to do and I just I I wanted to say every day look I'm not going to quit this job but can we all just agree that I'm disgustingly overqualified for it um, mm. because it, I mean to be honest with you I was five years sober and it was my get well job because up until that point I was like I'm a screenwriter and it's like then you're going to stay broke like you know because yeah. I, again I, I had to get over the idea of getting the job and start learning how to get a job right. keep a job you want to learn how to make a million dollars learn how to make a dollar it's how. But I was like, that's the slow road to nowhere. But as he was saying, I'm going to run 10 miles when I could have walked one. Uh, that's my thing. Like, I'm going to take the path of most resistance. And I thought, you know, Oprah once asked a guest, what's the lesson that's taken you longest to learn in life? And I don't remember what they said, but I remember what I thought when she said it, which is that the lesson that's taken me longest to, to learn in life is that baby steps are the only way anyone gets anywhere. Oh, absolutely. I it's hear on that my way. mirror in my bathroom. I want to take one giant leap and land on the moon. Me too. But every time I've done it, I've landed on my ass. Yeah. Confused. I'm like, how did that happen? I was good intentions. Pretty sure I was prepared. You know, but it's like, I don't want to do the things everyone else has to do. When I heard in early sobriety, people would say I had to lose everything, go and get the minimum wage job. I was like, that's not going to be my story. It's not going to be my story. And guess what? It was my story. But it's not even that I don't want to do what everyone else does. It's that I don't know how. I can't see getting from here to there. 
I can only see jumping there. Because my just... finite mind cannot conceive of the possibility that when I was working in treatment, I was exactly where I needed to be. Like I said, I had this life-changing experience yeah. with this comedian who I'm still great friends with that I would have missed if I'd had it my way. Because the key yeah. is this, if the deal had closed in four weeks, like my lawyer and my agent told me it would, I would have left treatment. I'd have been like, I'm going to go get mine. Like my chip came in. Why would I hang out with you guys? Right. And I got left where I was and I was in pain over it. I was enjoying the experience, but robbing myself of it over the idea that like, yeah, this is okay, but I need to be somewhere right. else. This is a gigantic waste of time. Then I get offered this job and companionship and I'm like, yeah, but this is not, I got this deal. If that could just close, I wouldn't need this. And, um, I went and did a 24-hour detox with a guy who I got on really well with. And at the end of that thing, I wasn't, I, I'm not into like... You were detoxing? Or no, no, he was, was, he was detoxing. Oh, okay. And I went and just sat with him in treat, treatment. Oh, we got on really well. And, and as a point of primary purpose, I gave him my number and said, listen, if you ever want to talk about sobriety, just give me a call. And a few months later, I've moved out of the house with my ex-wife. And I'm living in the back house of a great friend of mine from school who's lent me his pool house to live in while I figure out my stuff. Mm -hmm. I got 900 bucks in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he then very sadly relapses mm -hmm. with a long time sober. Mm -hmm. um, and this creative haven that I've moved into suddenly becomes a very unsafe place to be. Like he's not smoking a bit of weed. He's doing hard drugs in the hardest way you can do them. And it's likely that he's not going to make it through. I can mm -hmm. happily report he's now got a couple of years sober. Oh, but in that moment, I was like, he's not like, I get it, opportunity to be of service, but this guy is not standing in one place long enough for me to even. Right. He's if they not don't listening. want it, you can't no, get it done. No, yeah. if they're not asking, they're not listening. So, um, so. About four days, I'm clinging on in because I've got nowhere to go. Like I, all, Everything I own in the world is in this back house and I've got to make it work. And he said to me at one point, he was like, I don't want to ruin your life. And I was like, then don't because I've got nowhere to go. I'll stay out of your way, but I, I can't leave. And about four days in, it got really bad one night and I woke up the next morning having basically not slept. And I got on my knees and I was like, listen, you got me in here and I need you to get me out. This is not safe. And all I'm asking for in the world and I wasn't trying to like trick the prayer to say the right thing, to get the thing. I really meant it when I said, just give me a way to take care of my ex-wife and daughter. And 26 minutes later, I got a text from the guy from the detox saying, I'm back in New York. I've relapsed. Is there any chance you consider moving here to help me get sober? And two days later, I was on a flight to New York for m more money than I'd ever made helping this guy get sober every time you say just god give me a way to take care of my ex-wife and daughter it almost brings tears to my eyes because when you have a kid and an ex really is what i guess if you're a good not even a good person but for me that's very important and yeah for you i mean as look, well. it's, it's unthinkable to me to be the person who's just gonna go off and like you know kill it and be like well sucks to be you you missed the train like it's you know, again, my daughter is at the forefront of that you, me, and we. How often do you see her? Every day. Oh, wow. Without I only see mine fail. once a week. I mean, I just... For now. Again, we made that... Yeah, I mean, exactly. Everything is constantly in change. But I... We just made that agreement and that decision that, like... Um, and unless there is, an, you know, 
some geographical reason. I know I Pat really sure. wants to talk movies and stuff. No, it's cool. Yeah, I'm getting it. to the point of the. the oh, sorry. The, okay. No, well, I'm going to get to the point the the point of the sale, but so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I go, I go out to New York. I'm having this life changing experience with this guy. We're like brothers. He's the one of the best people I've ever met. We're running around the park every day. We're eating in great restaurants in New York. We're going to meetings every day. I'm not feeling like I'm selling my soul because it it does seem like what we're doing is actually working. He's benefiting from it. He's still sober. He's still alive. So I'm like, this is working. And in the midst of all this, I got an email from my rep saying, we've tried everything we can and the deal on the script is never going to close. We're recommending that you let it go. And I was like... Uh, and again, people had said to me for years, like, maybe you're not a screenwriter, maybe the universe got other plans. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is what I, this isn't what I do, it's who I am. So I, but in this moment, I get this email that's like, you got to let this go. And I walk downstairs in this guy's apartment, he's out with his daughter for the day, and I found myself say out loud to the universe, if this was the plan, if helping people get sober and this whole deal is the plan that I've been missing and you've been waiting to give me, just show me where to go. Because I can't fight you on this anymore. I, it, it's not working and it's just causing me nothing but pain. And this, even though I've been trying to walk away from it for the last four years, this is working. So if this is what I'm meant to do, just show me where to go. And I felt my soul exhale, slept for a couple of weeks and stopped needing to know. I got out of the way of... Because this is the thing about like hard work is not tiring. What's tiring is obsession with what's supposed to come as a result of the work. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped needing to know. It was like, I do this, I do this, I do this. And um, I came back to LA uh, a couple months later. I let go of my reps. I walked into a coffee shop the next day and ran into a manager who had offered me rep five years earlier. And he'd said to me, I gave him like 12 scripts and I, you know, in that, cause I was in that place of like, I'll just be whatever writer you want me to be. And I didn't know who I was yet. So I gave him some, you know, uh, a romantic comedy and then some animated, uh, animated comedy, a bit like family guy and, um, uh, and this feature. And he read all my work and he called me on the Monday and he said, listen, I've read all your work. I don't think you're an animated comedy writer. I think I want to build your career on this feature, Salador, which I'd written a, a year. So cellar door i have to say it in an american cellar accent door yeah like cellar the, door the door to the cellar yeah. yeah cellar door um and so so i he said to me i want to build your career on the script but i'm going to tell you now that i it's going to take me five years to do it because i think you're very good but i don't think you're ready and i was like you're insane i'm ready now and i need to check yesterday so i'm gonna love you and leave you so I went off with this big fancy agency um, that me met my ego and uh, we did the do for five years. Nothing was working. They couldn't close the deal. We, we, we parted ways. So five years later, I ran into them in this coffee shop and they've told me this deal's never going to close. You've got to let it go. And I've let it go. I'm le I've let my reps go. And I'm like, if I'm meant to write, I will, the universe will let me know. I let them go. The next day I run into this guy in a coffee shop and he says, how's it going? So I tell him everything about what's going on. And um, it's way too late to say long story short. Three weeks later, he closed the unclosable deal on Salador five years after he said, this is the script I want to build your career on. Mm. 
So, so it took five years. <laughs> so the point, so when I say everything's unfolding in perfect time and perfect right. order, I'm talking from a place of experience and an amount of pain around railing against that. And then the experience of just leaning into it. And like I said, experiencing flow. It's like you can either experience, you, you know, Go with it and experience flow or rail against it and experience struggle. Those are the choices. What I have to say about that, though, it almost seems like the resistance and pain is necessary. It's a necessary part of the whole thing because you wouldn't appreciate it. You wouldn't see it. Your ego would still be whatever. You would had to learn what you had to learn. Like all these things are come from pain and, you know. Agreed. And also. Okay. But wait. So you sold the script. Did you have a good payday or not? So what happened was when I got this, when I sold the screenplay, I signed a deal, and my head was like, "Well, it's just going to be more bullshit, surely?" Because all I'd experienced, I'd I had no historical reference for a positive experience of the business. I'd only had being messed around, dicked around, and hurry up and wait. So I sold. So I signed the deal and was like, "Well, nothing's going to happen." And the next morning, I met with the producer, and he handed me um, a check with his signed copy of the agreement and um it wasn't the big payday it was it was the option fee and a rewrite fee for what was needed for the script to get it in to get it cast but it was more money than i ever made it was it was dollar one from the business of being a screenwriter and it was a lot more than one dollar um so so it puts you in a better place like you weren't scraping no it wasn't but also this is what i was about to say is that up until that point i'd always believe like in this binary idea one of the reasons i refused to get a get well job or any other kind of job before sobriety or in sobriety was i was like i'm either a screenwriter or i'm not so if oh, I you get, can't be both. If I get any other job, it's like telling the universe, I'm not a screenwriter. I've given up. And the universe will think, oh, well, if you're okay working at Starbucks, mm. you can just stay working at Starbucks. Because it listens to your thoughts. Right. And actually, it's like, no, if you get a day job, it just means you won't live in financial terror all the time. It's nothing to do with what the universe's plans are for you. What happened was I got the day job and found out I actually had this other string to my bow that I that provided me with a lot of joy. Then when it grew into something else, I found out that actually it was something that could provide me with a real living. And from the companionship business, I then went into performance coaching where I got to, again, work with this life-changing client who I'm still great friends with in private equity, where I was teaching this whole firm I'm sorry. spiritual principles I, I'm just, to executives. This is with, insane. With, sorry, hold with, on a second, Billy. Danielle just brought over here a sober companion screenwriter who speaks about recovery in AA like I've never heard anyone speak about it. It's, it's just it's crazy. Good, it's a, I mean, it's a good it's podcast. Just, no, but what's crazy is that like this thing I'm trying to do is about a sober companion. Oh, the movie. And a young like punk rock kid who's yeah, like yeah. strung out. But yeah. there's it's some just parallels. Crazy. Like, there's some parallels. Okay, great. I, I just gave him this. Great. Um, but it, it's just. Uh, thank you. No, and I think he sent me like this quote. You should tell him this quote. I just read it actually. It's so good. It's just crazy. It's just like it's hard for me to be like, whoa, what is what's what's going on here? You know. Yeah, well, let's talk about movies. For well, a while. I mean, I don't even. I just feel like I just want to just show you this trailer and just see what you think. Um. um yeah, so I, I sold the movie, and it, it I, I thought when I, when you sell a movie, that means that 
surely then you know the dam breaks and and everything rushes in and the truth is it becomes another form of hurry up and wait but i um have you sold anything else yeah recently uh as a result of covid went home from my day job at the private equity firm um and my managers called me and said you have a couple of stories that would work really well as um scripted podcasts and people are buying them like crazy right now what is it scripted podcast scripted podcast oh so like a radio play um and so i took two ideas that i had and wrote what's called a deck for them and i sold one and i'm currently writing all 10 episodes of this um this drama series and and the, the reason we're doing it is it's a great way to create um a baseline ip for to sell the tv series so you create you you, met, you produce the whole series all 10 episodes and you can actually show here's the thing it costs roughly i mean it, it sky's the limit but you you make a pilot nowadays costs about 750 grand but all that tells you is whether or not the pilot works or you make a 10 episode podcast series and you know if the series works and it only costs you 150 grand because it's tested on the podcast well no because you've gotten to like put the whole story under a microscope play the whole thing out so you get to see because lots of people can write a great pilot but whether they can actually carry the whole series whether the story can really sustain the series is kind of everyone's taking a risk no one really knows and what this format does is it allows people to put the whole show under a microscope for a fifth of the money. All right, can I ask a question? Yeah. So the show is presented on a podcast. Yes. And you go through the entire series on the podcast. It's, it's, it's so... But who's doing the podcast? Did you ever listen to um, Serial, This American Life? Yeah. Yeah. So an investigator goes in to try and stress test whether or not this kid is should really spend. Is that the night of? No. But it feels like it. Do you remember the night of? The, the night HBO of is show? great. Yeah. It's like the best, one of the best shows I've ever seen. Right. And so it feels like serial. It felt like it was. Yeah. And so and so the the show, show that I've created is somewhere between the night of and serial, which no is no way. Yeah, it's about um, the cellar door. Oh no, a different show. No, it's a, it's a cellar door's a movie. This is a it's a show about a, an investigator who who meets with someone who's confessed to a crime and she's like I don't believe you and I'm going to prove that you're lying. And so the the show is her interviewing all of the people that he knew and everyone that knew the victim and she starts piecing all these pieces together that don't fit with his narrative and piecing together the fact that he's probably lying and and so it plays out. What I created was a TV series. How we're going to sell the TV series is by making the podcast to say to right. broadcasters, look, it works, and we have a built-in audience. So the podcast is a cheap way of testing the whole thing. But how a, do you yeah. get the audience? By yeah. releasing the podcast. But like To where? somebody who's known already with a reputation? To pl- the, the, there's, 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 you know, Spotify has a big platform. iHeartRadio has a huge platform. And they advertise <sighs> the living shit out of these shows i mean they do yeah i mean the this show so they're gonna do that yeah they've, gu- they've guaranteed that 15 million users will hear advertising for this show wow 15 How million fuck do you yeah. get that that like you were like that i so- mean how do you get somebody to, to to how do you sell the thing to spotify or is it going to be on spotify or iHeartRadio? 
Uh, I mean, at, at the moment, probably iHeartRadio. Because your agent or whoever it is. Because the company that's making the podcast has a relationship with iHeartRadio to provide them with a number of podcasts every year in this format. Um, And so, yeah, so we're doing that and we've just put out another one that is picking up some heat and, you know, it it seems, I don't, desperate not to say anything that kind of like tempts the universe to go, oh, really, you think how (laughs) things are going to go? You think you know what the plan is Yeah, yeah, I get it. But, um... Yeah, it, it, se- it seems like um, we're in a state of flow right now. Great. Um, and for what it's worth, the movie, which we believe is going to go into production in summer, it was pushed back obviously by COVID, um, is about a couple who get given their dream home for free by a stranger on the caveat that they never open the cellar door and it destroys them. Mm, like they don't open it or they do? It's not about them opening it. It's about so basically when they get given the house, the husband's like, "Why would they give us this house? There's nothing down there." And the wife's like, "I don't care. Look at this place. Yeah. Put it out of your mind. Like Stop being so film. fucking male." Right. This reminds me no, of Adam psychological Eve drama or yeah, the archetype. It is the story of Adam Eve. Yeah, it's the it's the, it's a, it's not about what's in the cellar. It's about what the need to know will do to you yeah. if it, if you allow it to. That's so amazing. And so. Their opposing view on the gift tears them apart, um, and so it's about it's about watching the psychological. Oh, destruction this will be fun! You got to let us know when it releases so we can listen I mean, to we'll, it. We'll, we'll, we'll know. Hopefully, if I've done my job right, I won't need to let you know. Exactly. Oh, we'll see. you'll have to let me know. And, and, I, and, and, and I mean, have have they, have they talked about like Netflix or? They, HBO, they, or are I mean, we the, still thinking about theaters? Which I feel like, I mean, are we still I mean, talking about theaters? Exactly. What are I mean, we talking I, about? I ho- here's what I hope. I mean, I, I, I have an, um, a, a, share, a shared interest in a, in a health club in London. Um, it's a family-owned business. And, and I believe that when this thing, I'm not saying back to normal, but when we get the other side of this, I'm really hopeful that there's going to be a resurgence of people who are desperate to get back to both gyms and movie theatres. And I hope that the timing, again, not tempting the universe here, but um, I'm hoping that the timing of production will be that we should and could release around the time that everyone flocks back to gyms and theatres. So last time I was in a conversation with the producers about it, the, the, the goal was theatrical release. Um, but obviously, if we were releasing tomorrow, we'd be looking at platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, uh, I don't know what the plan is. But did, you, did you see the uh, the little things? No, not yet. Yeah. Is it good? I think it's Jared Leto's best performance. Yeah, which, which is, is saying, saying a, lot. a lot. I mean, it's my favorite. Okay. Of his, but man, that's awesome, dude! Congrats. Thank you. I don't even fucking. Bro, that whole industry and the scene and just all that shit, it's just like, it's just... Um, it's a lot of bullshit. Well, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Because I'm like, let me just make what I'm trying to make here. Yeah, but, I mean, but, 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 the thing is what you're doing different from everyone else is you're not waiting for, for no. permission to start. No. You know, And so many people get trapped in this idea of like, well, I would write something of someone paid. What? That one's going to fucking... But I shot, we shot and I made this. You should just watch it real quick. I'm curious to see what you think. 
Okay. It's only two minutes. I'm going to watch this for all the listeners. Is some of that footage you pretty surprising? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we would need like a younger actor, I think. And no, I understand. It's the whole, it's a mess, you know? I mean, I have like an hour, I have a whole hour like that we shot just like on pure, like grab the red, let's go fucking see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of really great looking footage on there, right? You know, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to give you like a, Pricey or breakdown. Well, let's see. I just, whatever. I mean, I'm doing so many other things that it's not like no, no, whatever not, happens with that will happen and we'll figure it out. But like, I'm just curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, while I was watching it, I was like, so the LA response is like, oh my God, I love that. And right. it's not like, okay. Well, yeah, is that, that's just a trailer. No, no, no. Like no it's movie. like my, my, my hit, like, I, so it's about a sober companion. <sighs> it's about the kid who's, uh, you know, trying to revamp his music career, but he can't stop using heroin. Right. And his rich father hires somebody to save him mm-hmm. um, because he's in some trouble 
and his dad's like, look, I'll get you out of this trouble, but you got to live with this guy. Right. And the guy is like someone like you or like me or someone who has experience and knowledge in, in, and then, and then the girl shows up and she's got her issues and she's underage, you know? So what you want to do is take that as a construct and run it by three central questions. What does your central character want? What's in their way? And what will happen if they don't get it? And the reason I say that is because everything you just said works, but I wouldn't be able to tell you that from watching your trailer. Oh, yeah. I mean, the trailer is more like just a vibe. No, it's, and the, like I said, there's a lot of great, like the yeah, shots, yeah, yeah. there's awesome footage in yeah. there. But I, I was watching it thinking, like, because I should be able to come away from a trailer and give yeah, you, it's I not, should be able to give you a log line. It's not like the and final trailer. No. We would add like some more voiceover stuff, right? To try to help tell the story a little bit more. Yeah, I should. I, at the end of a trailer, I should be able to say this is a story of. Yeah. And I knew it was about a sober companion because you told me that before I watched it. Yeah. Um, but he said a sober companion. Yeah, I know. The opening moment is him hiring the guy, right, and saying, "Yeah, like, yeah." And then Don't towards the middle, up. towards the middle slash end, he goes, "A sober companion is an exotic job." At a minute fifty, I, I checked the time because I was like, "This is a long way in." Yeah, no, it's not. The trailer's not. You you would have to look at the script, and we'd remake a trailer and redo the whole thing. I I I was I would just be curious to know if 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 you would ever want to like write something like that, or if you would be. Is it I mean, too look, close to home or like... I uh, I definitely can't answer that in this moment because it just, it, uh, you know, it comes down to me reading the work and seeing where it's at. But like... Yeah, um, you should like look at the script. I'm, I'm a kind of too crazy. stickler for um, story structure and, yeah. and uh, underpinning factors that just can't be overlooked. And so like, you know... Worst case scenario, like I can totally be a sounding board for like getting it into a place where it's a, um, a product. So you could just like read a hundred page script. I mean, that's what you do. Cause for me, that's like, a, like for me to like actually read a whole hundred page script, it's like a whole, it's like a, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I have the time to do it. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's no, and, asking and look, a lot. I don't know that I have the time to do it right yeah. now either. Like I'm on a deadline with these ten well, episodes. Maybe not like, now, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, um, you know, my thing always is like, when I read a script, I go to the writer and I say, okay, tell me the story that you think I just read. Yeah, yeah. Nine yeah. times out of ten, they will tell me a story that's nothing to do with what I just read. Hmm. Right. Because they they think like the way I always say it. Like I consult writers, and um. The way that I structure, I, I create a structure plan for a piece of work before I write it for this reason. If you put a boat in the ocean in England and you point it west and you start rowing and you're heading for New York, you, an hour or two in, you'll be in open water going, I don't fucking, what, which is west? But so you keep going and then you hit the beach and everyone's speaking Spanish and you have no idea why. Well, the currents of the ocean are going to take you away from, for one, but okay. But if there's a balloon in the water every five feet, you don't need to know where New York is. You just need to know where the next balloon is. Mm. And so I'm a big thing. And my big thing is like you plan the, I mean, this is not my line. I heard it the other day, but you plan the work and work the plan. Like 
but it, it, everyone overlooks it. Everyone overlooks those three questions. Everyone just wants well, to. Right, it's it's yeah. it, it's it's just a movie about what we've been talking about for the past two hours. It's yeah. learning to lose. It's it's as soon as he lets go. No, no. Well, he writes what, his best work, but let it's me interpret what he's saying is you got to go from this dot to this dot to this dot to this dot, or it's not gonna. It's not cohesive. It's not. Gonna... But what he's. But I'm saying, as far as the question of and, what and, is it? and when I say this dot to this dot, it's not about formula. It's just a. It's about a form and a structure and a framework within. You know, like I was saying, I'm a. You know, I'm a creature of of rigorous structure within within that context. I get all of my inspiration, but I have to be in a place of rigorous structure. If I'm not in rigorous structure, I'm going to pinball all over the place, and then inspiration has no chance of getting anywhere near me because. I've got no parameters. There's no confines. Yeah, I remember Jack White. Do you know who that is? He Otherwise said something right? I always remembered. That So his drummer was his wife. She wasn't a good drummer, and he played the guitar, right, and did the vocals. She wasn't. She was decried as being an awful drummer, but she, she's she not was like, the White Stripes. Yeah, she's good, but she's not like a professional drummer, right? Yeah. Um, and he said, in this box, I was able to be creative. It's just like what you're saying. You're put in a box, and you can create within that box. But if there's no box, you're then just... what you end up with is a is a dog's dinner, in my experience. Because yeah. it's just like, oh, maybe it's that. Is it over there? I don't know. I think it might have been behind me a minute ago. But let me ask you this: What's the Big Lebowski about? Um, I haven't watched it in a long time. So okay, I... what's what's one of your favorite movies? Um, okay, let's just take like when you ask like what a movie's about like it's never like easy to answer it like like fargo fargo's about a man who wants the respect of his peers and he goes about getting it by having <laughs> his wife killed right with the hope of actually with that not happening but he ultimately okay so that sounds like i mean that maybe that was sounds, a, it sounds like maybe a movie I'd breakdown, watch, but, but like no no it's a great description of what it's about but do I want to watch that? I don't know. Maybe. Right. But what makes it good is the Coen brothers and the characters and the acting. It's not what you just said as far as that's not what makes it good. Yeah, but you the know Coen, what I'm the, here's the key to that. The Coen brothers didn't start with, well, we're the Coen brothers. Just start writing. No, I know. I know. They started with those three questions. Oh, my God. Yeah. And those three questions are really easy for me to answer. Wait, what three questions? What does he want? What's in his way? What will happen if he doesn't get it? It's the, um, literally the same thing you wanted and the same thing I wanted. Yeah. It's, it's, we, it's the story we know so well, which is why like it should be so easy for someone like you to write it. There's no such thing. Well, not easy, but like... I understand that. It's, 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 coming, it's coming from an authentic place. Oh my so God. It's the only like, place I would ever know where to come from. Right. It's my life story, but like, you know, exaggerated in certain ways to help the narrative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also it's like an excuse or a reason to talk about what we're talking about in a movie. So other people can be like, Oh wow. Like this is what getting sober looks like. Like for reals, not just getting sober, but self-actualizing or, or getting to a higher place or, or having that spiritual letting awakening. go and like, and then letting all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I was like tripping on the wrong shit. Right. You know? And then like 
something right. New so comes. sort of a movie that brings a truth. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you two more questions before you have to? I was just thinking it's, it's midnight, and I I thought when we started this, like yeah, let's just go straight through till the sun comes out. Yeah. But it's, uh, no, we're done. No, I get it. We talked intensely. I just wanted to ask you. I, I don't even think we can. One question. Tapped out on time. Okay. Okay. Go. No, no, no. Ask. I only have like we can only go like two and a half hours. Did, did, is the cellar door a movie I can see? No, it's going into production. In the oh, okay. It's okay. That was a simple question to ask. No, no, <laughs> you can't. But uh, hopefully you will be able to see it by the end of the year in some format oh, or another. Okay. Was that the only question? I forgot the other one. But I did want to uh, get your number if that's cool. Sure. Um, Can I give it to you when we're not recording? Yeah. Oh, oh, of course. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. This was really awesome. And I good night, everybody. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank, yeah, of course. Thank Thanks you. for coming, dude. Yeah, it was good.